Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Where today is National T-Shirt Day, at least for Pastor Andrew and I, as we proclaim the Lordship of Jesus Christ and His glory uh, over, over everything. But we are busting out the T-shirts today. Short sleeves, this is a prophetic sign that winter is over. We're declaring springtime is just around the corner. Now, as we would have this, of course, we're recording this a week early, so we're moving in supernatural faith. There might be a blizzard when this is aired next Thursday. <laughs> we have no idea. to work on a prophetic listening at this point. That's the case. But we're, we're believing in a couple weeks it'll be nice and warm out. We are believing for better things. Yes. And uh, we're, putting our, we're putting our faith into to action right now. Um, we'll put our warm clothes on as soon as it's warm. No cold in here, actually. <laughs> hey, we're glad that you are sharing this time with us. Uh, and we do want it to be as interactive as possible. So love your feedback, love your comments. And uh, our prayer is just that you're incredibly encouraged and loved and strengthened. And, uh, and that what we have to share today will be a great blessing to you. Um, you know, we've got, uh, even as we speak, again, we're trying to stay a, a week or so ahead in recording. But... This week is, excuse me, this weekend is the weekend of our women's encounter. Yeah, I believe if, if we calculate it right, that's the it's <laughs> coming over after. You and hopefully it's 70 podcast. degrees uh, yeah. as you're watching this. But anyway, uh, as we shared in our last podcast, uh, the encounters are something that we do on a pretty regular basis here at Living Stones. And I just want to give a quick plug. These are powerful times, you know, as we're in the kind of in this discussion now on shame. It, these are powerful, powerful times for people to deal with the, the hidden junk in their hearts yeah. and just to, to live in freedom you know the end result of freedom is joy in the holy spirit and, and you and i have talked about this i believe that when people come to church on sunday there should be a tangible sense of the holy spirit's presence among us and there should as the church is moving in freedom right yeah. there should be a palpable sense of joy i mean like wow and uh, marion came up to me after church uh this past sunday and uh, i think it was after second service between second and third service and um and she just said honey the joy that's in the house is amazing people talking excited there's a buzz through the whole foyer you know uh she was just sharing about the conversations that were taking place and people getting free and and God on the God being on the move, and I'm like, you know, I think the Bible says in one of the Psalms, if I'm quoting it right, uh, the sound of joyful singing and salvation is in the dwelling of the righteous. In other yeah. words, when you're with God's righteous people, when you're living in righteousness, there's a, a song of joy and celebration that's happening because uh, that's the environment yeah. that we that we move in, you know, that we live in. So. And I think this this series has taught me a lot more about joy. You know, joy is not just being happy because something good happened. Oh, I won the lottery, I'm joyful. Or, you know, we won the championship. You know, those are temporary right. things that's affected by external events. A deep sense of joy that you're talking about that we, we desire for our church is the sense of, of exactly what we talk about, how shame affects you. Uh, shame attacks your identity, it attacks uh, whether you have what it takes and whether you're valuable. Yeah. A deep sense of joy is, is a deep understanding affirmation from the Father that says, I've called you, that you have what it takes and that you are valuable. Yeah, and well, you, you brought this up earlier, you know, uh, shame has a twofold attack. It, it tries to disintegrate, number one, disintegrate our relationship yeah. with God, first of all. Mm -hmm. And then with other people. Yep. So I think a lot of that joy that we have comes from being in right standing with God. Yep. And me being in right standing with you, right. my brother. And and then when that's multiplied over the whole church and, 
And then when the presence of God is so powerful, you cannot help but have an atmosphere that, that is just pregnant with joy. Yeah. And, and, and that's the end result, by the way, right, of, of eternity. It's not so much about a place. It's really about a person. His name is Jesus. It's about being, living in the immediate presence of, of God Almighty in a perfect, restored earth with perfect relationships. Right. And, and the atmosphere of heaven is going to be one of incredible joy. I, I think about, you know, when you're, your child is small, whether your son or your daughter, and they just know, you know, they're young. But they know the apple of their parents' eyes. Yeah. They know that they're beloved. They know that they're special. They're cared for. They know that their parents are, you know, watching them. They're fun to explore. They're fun. They 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 have joy to take risk. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, unless you should be doing that. But they 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 are they're, they're adventurous. They want to go out there and try different things. They're not afraid because they're such joy because their their foundation of who they are is secure in their parents' hearts. I think that word secure is a good one. You know. When kids, when kids have a safe place yeah. under the banner of, of mom and dad's affection, yeah. Yeah. then they're free, they're fun, they're creative, like you said, they're, they're, uh, they experience, they're adventuresome, and they're living fully alive. Right. And then you find kids, they don't have that, and they're insecure, and they're clingy, and they're fearful, and you know, uh, just the opposite. So yeah. how much more when we're living under this you know, the Bible says his banner over me is love. You know, I always picture this beautiful canopy of God's unfailing, everlasting, unconditional affection for me. Yeah. And when you're living under that affection, then uh, it, it just frees you up to to take risks, to, to obey the Lord, to go love somebody, to go pray for somebody, you know, because you're not insecure and you're not dealing with that shame. That Absolutely. Just, absolutely paralyzes you yeah so we want to pick up where we left off last week we hope this has been helpful to you you know we, we shared last week jesus is our example in everything and i and i try to encourage our congregation too you know jesus is our example in everything like he is the perfect man he shows us what a man perfectly submitted to god and perfectly obedient to god looks like mm. and um and so the miracles that jesus did the ministry that Jesus had, the Bible says in Acts 10, Jesus went around doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. Um, like, when we read that, is that something we just go, wow, that was really cool, Jesus, good job? Or do we go, hey, Jesus is showing us how we're supposed to function. Like, that's my that's my mission right there, and he's really inviting us to, to pursue more. Mm. And, and that's certainly what we preach and teach here at Living Stones is that Jesus' lifestyle that we see in the Gospels was not something to be uh, celebrated from a distance, but something to be emulated. In other words, he's inviting us to submit our lives, to, to, to live shame-free, to be full of the Holy Spirit, and to be adventuresome and obedient to God and to go do the things that Jesus did. And so last week we tried to show how you do that. You know, you, you are on mission. You live under the favor of God. You live in the fullness of the presence of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you live under the Father's affection and the Father's uh, endorsement of you. And, uh, and, and if you can stay there, that's the secret really to victory. Yeah. And so... Let's talk a little bit, because this, this, this week we want to talk about how, how Satan directly went after the identity of Jesus, and he's very strategic about it. Here Jesus gets publicly endorsed by his father, water baptism in the whole nine yards. Yeah. And then the very next chapter, you move into Matthew chapter 4, and literally it all hits the fan. All hell breaks loose, uh, because now Jesus is interesting enough, led by the Holy Spirit yeah. into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil 
for 40 days. Um, let's talk a little bit about that whole experience. <laughs> I, I, before we even get there, I thought you know, everything is very strategic. It's a chess match between God and the devil. The devil is like, I'm going to strategically attack his identity. I'm going to strategically... And the stakes couldn't be higher. Stakes I mean, couldn't be higher. Yeah. If, if Jesus sins, if he fails, um, mission over, I mean, we're dead. Yeah. We're, we have, we have, we no, have hope. no hope. Yeah. Right. And so chess has got, his, I mean, the devil's got his schemes, but the father has his own bigger scheme. His yeah. bigger strategy above. He's like, I know my son's about undergoing these trials and his testing, and I'm going to turn these trials and testing into greater fruit and greater blessing. Yeah. Um, greater glory for, 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 for the kingdom and for, for, for Jesus. But I'm going to prepare him strategically. So even before that, he comes and he gives him exactly what Jesus needs. Uh, uh, not 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 like a armor, not a sword, not you know, not attendance. He gives him exactly what Jesus needs: his identity, and that he is called of God. Yep. And that's that's the that's the sweet spot that what Christ needs before he enters into the temptation. Jesus's mission, yeah, it, and his story is part of all of our story. I mean, he's writing the story of redemption, yeah. of which we find our identity and our story within his story. So this is the story of all stories that's being written here. Yeah. And you hit, you hit the nail on the head. It's, to me, it's a great takeaway for us that many times, either through godly relationships or through the Lord himself or through scriptures or through the Holy Spirit, the Lord is encouraging us and affirming us before we get into that next trial so that we have what it takes to, to succeed. I'll tell you, just in my life, I know many people's life, they get this powerful prophetic words. Yeah. <laughs> and then all hell break loose. <laughs> we had that happen as a ministry. I mean, we had so many incredible words. And then it's like as soon as they were released. Oh, my God. In a ministry, me personally, sometimes like, and, and when I was younger, I was naive. I didn't get it. I was like, oh, what a powerful word. And then next thing you know, it's like everything falls apart. And I'm just wondering what is going on, right? <laughs> you know, and I blame the prophet. I blame the word. And, and then it's, it comes like years, like it might have been months or years, you come back and, and there's a fruition of those words. And you're like, oh, wait, that was true. I mean, look at Joseph. Yeah, look at Joseph after the, the crazy dreams, right? And then yeah. everything fell the dream, apart. The father's favor. Oh, he my goodness. Yeah. He's the beloved son. Right. And then boom, he's in a pit and, and he's in prison. So Jesus is kind of the micro because he, he had three years for his ministry, so he's had to, they have to fast forward his process. But it's the same process, right? So well, this is good. You know, you go all the way back. You, you, a couple weeks ago, you talked about Adam and Eve and yeah. Satan's attack really on their identity and God's identity. Did, yeah. did God really say, right? right? So it's interesting because now Jesus is being led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness. Yeah. He's going to go without food. So it's interesting how food is similar. Like you go back to the garden. Yeah. They could eat all they wanted. It was a buffet. Yeah. God said, eat from any tree except just don't eat from that tree. So they they had a they had a smorgasbord, and yet they wanted what was forbidden. Now here Jesus is going without food completely for 40 days. Um, and of course, part of the devil's temptation to him was to make some food. But it's just interesting. Children of Israel, they're in the they're in the wilderness for 40 years of failure. Mm -hmm. And much of their failure came when God decided, okay, I'm going to just test their hearts. I'm going to take away food here for a couple of days, see what's in their heart. Yeah. Well, they had mutiny, right? I mean, right. They, right. they wanted to kill Moses. They right. were cursing God. Right. You're, you brought us out here to kill us. I mean, what came out of their hearts was so nasty. That was from the lack of food. So Jesus is 40 days as the second Adam, as, as uh, 
as the picture of Moses and Joshua leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and leading them into the promised land. That's who Jesus is. That's, that's what he's trying to do. But for 40 days, he is assaulted by the devil. The only difference is, unlike the children of Israel who died in the wilderness, right. uh, Jesus obeys the Father and comes out on, uh, on victory on the other side. So yeah, that's good. praise God for that. But, but we brought up a point. You know, that There's lots of names for our adversary. Yeah. Of course, Satan means adversary. And I highlighted that in this passage, it, it doesn't say Satan tempted Jesus. It says the devil tempted him. It, that word devil, diabolos, means accuser. It means someone who's trying to defame your character, mm. someone who's attacking mm. your identity. And so the devil, uh, uniquely in this, in this role, is slandering and attacking and going after what God just told Jesus who he was. You know, he, that's, that's the truth that Satan's after. And I think it's strategic, and I think it's, of course, the Holy Spirit that that's the name that's highlighted here because that's exactly what the devil wants to do in our lives. He's trying to slander your reputation, slander your identity, tell you you are not who God says you are, uh, and we've got to stay laser-focused on, on the message of the Lord. Also, you know, we highlighted another truth, which is so important. The audacity of Satan... The devil to attack Jesus. Three, I mean, we know the three major, you know, temptations at the end of this forty-day yeah. period. But I'm sure that they're, you know, and, and I think in uh, one of the other gospels it says Satan waited until the next opportune time. Yeah. In other words, this wasn't the end of, of his assault on Jesus's character. This was the beginning of his assault. But yeah. if, if the devil would do that to to the Son of God. How much more do we need the Holy Spirit? Yeah. You know, how much more yeah. do we need God's help? Right. Uh, it's kind of a sobering moment uh, for all of us to realize uh, we're, go we're going to be attacked. Our identity is going to be attacked, and we need yeah. to know how to fight. No, that's good. So let's talk a little bit about the three ways that Satan attacked, and we'll go over these kind of quickly here. Um, the first way we highlighted was uh, the performance trap, which says, I am what I do. Yeah, you already do, right? I am what I do. Talk about that a little bit, because, you know, the temptation was, hey, Jesus, uh, if you'll uh, turn these uh, uh, turn these stones into bread, right? Yeah. Um, and we highlighted, you know, as, you, as we talked about last week, for 30 years, Jesus is living in basically obscurity. So he's not done anything yet. He, he's not, nobody knows who he is. He's not performed one miracle. Yeah. And the devil's like, you know, if you are, right? That, that's right. the phrase, if, if, right. if. That's, that's an attack on, on who we think we are and our mission. If you're really the son of God, then why don't you like turn these uh, stones into bread? Like that happened, Moses did did something similar in the in the wilderness. Why don't Jesus demonstrate that you really are who, who your father says you are? Yeah. Uh, and that performance trap is, is a huge thing. I mean, we talk about this, even in Marcus share, it's like, you know, mostly people identify like if you if you introduce someone new you know a question people often like to ask is what do you do right what do you do now when i meet new people i go try to go out of my way to not ask people that just to, just for my own sanity for my own understanding you know ask where they live ask you know uh, where they're from yeah. um just when you get to meet people but yeah. again not that there's anything wrong with asking what people do no, but but we associate ourselves with that so much, well, I'm a doctor, I'm a teacher, I'm a yeah. I'm military. In the church world, it's not unusual for pastors to get together and they say, well, how many are you running? Meaning, oh, yeah. how, how many people are showing up? Because somehow the number of people showing up is supposed to validate you know, my worth as a, as a man of God. Right. 
So it's all performance-based. It's all external. It's all numbers. It's all appearances, uh, you know, titles. Yeah, and, um, and the marketplace will be like, oh, well, how much was your sales this year? Oh, we right. sold $5 million, uh, $10 million, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's those terms that we, we pretend it doesn't identify us where it actually does identify us. Because, but, but, you know, I shared this example last week. Your call is now your identity. I call my son for a season to go clean his room. That's not his identity that he's a room cleaner. Right. He's simply, I want him to be obedient to clean his room. Right. I call my son to go and brush his teeth. He's not a teeth brusher. Right. He's my son. But his, his fundamental identity is in relationship to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, that's a picture of our fundamental identity is in relationship to the Father and to, to Jesus Christ as our Savior. Um, but we're constantly in our culture today uh, facing the comparison you know, challenge, measuring ourselves against other people, measuring ourselves against other callings, measuring ourselves against uh, other uh, socioeconomic statuses or whatever. Even in the church, pe people identify themselves by the roles that they play. I, hey, you know, I, I taught Sunday school at this church for 15 years. I was an elder. I was a deacon. Um, it's those titles that shape us. And then we get on the performance treadmill even in church. Like, yeah. I'm only, God's only pleased with me if I'm serving him. Instead of just, no, God is pleased with you because of what Jesus did, not because how you're performing, but because of right. how Jesus performed perfectly, honored the Father every moment of his life. Right. Um, but that is a huge, huge way the devil attacks our identity with shame because we're constantly feeling like we're not doing enough. And I think if you can find your identity in what you do in a, in a, in a, positive i want to say positive in a fulfilling way well i accomplished so much that's a loot i mean it seems like a win at the time but what happens when things don't go well then your identity follows it so it's really a lose-lose situation you don't want to get sucked into the performance trap when things are going well because when things aren't going well you're going to be devastated right. we got to remember that and this is a constant battle this is not like oh i want it against this i have this victory 10 years ago i'm good to go the enemy's going to constantly come with you and, and try to attach you to what you do that's good and I was just thinking too, as it relates, you know, to performance, how many of us in church, you know, you, you have a pastor like myself or you encourage, Hey people, let's get into the word. You know, let's, let's spend time every day. Like, yeah. Hey, you know, there was a, there was a, a, an encourage a teaching several years back when I was younger that was, that was called, could you not tarry one hour? It was, you know, Jesus words to the disciples. Right. And so the whole idea was, can you not spend one hour with the Lord every morning? Well, it's a great question, but what happens is if you try to pursue that goal in, out of a desire to to avoid guilt and shame, like, shame on you, can't you spend right, one hour right. with me? What's wrong with you? Yeah, right. then, then you get into, well, how much, of, how much of the Bible did you read today? How much time in prayer did you spend today? And all these disciplines, which are good disciplines, can actually become tools that the enemy uses to shame us when we don't measure up. Yeah, and this and, Again, it's just a very warped kind of religious thing that, that we get into this. That's why it's a constant battle because, you know, you, you, the tension point, right? So that means we do nothing. We don't perform. We don't ever get to our job. We never show up for yeah, work on time. Of no, it doesn't. It, we need excellence, but that excellence comes out of a deep sense of relationship and not out of performance. So, I mean, it, especially, I mean, with my kids, you know, as I'm training and growing my young kids, 
I, I hit that tension point quite a bit. I don't want to shame you, but at the same time, I ask you to do something. I don't want to tell you five times to do it. You got to do it the first time. Yeah. You know, your, your behavior is important and you're finishing the task is important, but right. it has nothing to do with my love for my you. My love for you. But at the same time, the consequence for your action, exactly. and you might interpret that as shame, but I, w- I want you to know I still love you, but there are consequences. And so much of it is doing what we do with the right motivation. Yeah. Like, you know, I was sharing with some of these amazing uh, testimonies from the encounter how to me I get so touched because it's like God Almighty knows everything about me he knows everything about you and when you see the way he speaks maybe through somebody else maybe through a prophetic word maybe through the the key that has just a simple word on it it to me it just speaks of God's intimacy and his great love and it's an invitation it's not a duty like you read the Bible every day you pray every day you witness every day that's all that legalistic stuff it's like no why don't i want to invite you to know me well how do i get to know the lord well i need to be in the word how do i get to know the lord i need to talk to him in prayer you know it's not a duty uh it is an invitation that's rooted in love and affection i think this is why the story the narrative is so important and we have to we have to go out a way to share the story of god look your story right now is like if you don't do this you're bad or if you don't do this you're not a good christian that's the wrong narrative that's the wrong story let me tell you the right story god's crazy about you he's inviting you he's inviting you to live holy for his name he's he's inviting his son his daughter you know, to, 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 to live a healthy life so you can be happier. You know, yep. I think that story, that narrative is so important. And we got to constantly help people see the right story. We, we, this Christian worldview is the greatest story ever told. And we should be trumpeting it and modeling it and living it. So, so get get away from the performance trap. Yep. The devil tried to motivate Jesus with performance again. In other words, show if you, if you're the son of God, do something spectacular here, um, do a miracle. And Jesus responded, it's interesting, because Jesus responds with three quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, which is all about the children of Israel wandering around in the desert. But Jesus uh, quotes the scripture. It is written. In other words, this is what God says. So the devil comes back on the second uh, temptation, second attack, and uh, and he actually used the scripture. But basically, the second attack is is the uh, popularity trap. It is, I am what others think I am. And this, this is something we've got to run from as well. So in other words, Satan is saying, hey, Jesus, you're kind of unknown. Nobody, nobody, nobody's seen you do anything yet. So takes him to the temple uh, and says, why don't you jump off? And he quotes Psalm 91. Mm-hmm. You know, if you jump off, the Bible says God will rescue you. He'll send his angels. You won't even hurt, you know, hurt your foot. Uh, and you're gonna, he's going to rescue you. It's going to be this amazing miracle. And it's Jesus that's going to put you on the map. Everybody's going to know you now. Everybody's going to worship you. And, and this is, this is going to be the greatest thing that, that could possibly happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, Jesus did not fall for it. He did not act impulsively. It was basically this idea, hey, you're kind of invisible right now. We need to help bring you out to the forefront. Uh, and it's that terrible, terrible uh, thing we all deal with, which is people-pleasing. Mm. Um and you cannot live shame-free if you're getting your cues from people because, as we all know, you can't please everybody. And the fact that you can't please everybody, if that's where your identity is coming from as people, there's always going to be somebody who's not happy with you. And we know how human nature works. If there's 100 people, 99 of them think you're awesome. One person thinks you're a loser. What is it that we dwell on? Yeah, the one person. The one person. And we're wondering, how come that person doesn't like me? And right. it is a terrible, terrible form of bondage 
to constantly be basing your identity on what people think. And I'm amazed, you know, Jesus was perfect. I mean, you, you can't find anybody that you would rather be around than Jesus. He was also full of joy. And yet the Bible says he was despised and hated and rejected, even by his own. Remember when he came into his hometown mm -hmm. right after the, the temptation? And when he started saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your midst, it says that they all rose up and drove him to the to the high point of the in the city, and they were going to push him off a cliff yeah. and kill him. This is his hometown. These are the people that knew him the best, uh, and yet they wanted to kill him. So uh, we're, we're set up for great shame and great failure and great guilt if if we're going to base our worth on what everybody around us happens to think about us at that time. And, and just like the first temptation, the second temptation is also tricky. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's tension filled. It's not black and white so easily seen because, you know, when you start to lead people and care about people and love people, people are going to like you. Yeah, and, and you do. And, and, you do. And, and as they probably should. And people yeah. are going to respect you because that's a good thing. And, and you're going to like it. You're going to enjoy. Not that you start out this mission, you know, caring for what people think, but after a while you start to enjoy it, you start to take it for granted, being appreciated, yeah. being respected, and next thing you know you want to love them back, and then there's that subtle, this is the subtlety of, yeah. of the draw of like, man, again, I've seen so many people fall, um, great leaders or pastors fall into that whole performance, fall into the whole pleasing the crowd. Yeah. Um, and they never started out that way. Yeah. And they started with a deep sense of commitment to the Lord. But the enemy doesn't come at you like in the full front or assault. It's these subtle cues, the subtle things of of uh, just the boiling that you know frog in a in a in a in the kettle, kettle yeah. slowly. Yeah. And then little next thing you know, you feel overwhelming pressure from people and from from what this group thinks and what this survey says and what this legal group thinks. And and next thing you know, you care. You know, you're you're hand you're 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 handicapped. You're in bondage to what everyone thinks. Well, you live in the fear of man. Yeah. And then the problem is when you're living in the fear of man, you're not pleasing the Lord, and that creates guilt because we know we're living in compromise. And right. and then we try to please men, but we find out we even as hard as we try, we never can, and that creates shame. And I mean, it, it's a terrible, terrible place. <laughs> I'm even thinking of these people that come from. Uh, from shame-filled homes, toxic families yeah. where yeah. where their parents have spoken into them all their lives. I mean, if you're going to find your cues from human beings, you're going to live in shame forever. That's why we have to listen to the voice of the Father. We have to know what the Bible says. We have to know what Jesus thinks of us. We have to know what God the Father thinks of us. And we have to make a conscious choice to be to live under an audience of one. Yeah, I, I think, you know, even you and I in, in our, our pastoral team, our leadership team, when we sit around and try to make decisions, like, do we, we never say, like, you know what, we're going to make the decision that's going to offend the most people. Like, that's not our... No, that's not we're our, not trying to do we're that. We're not trying to do that, right? That's never our thought. But but you get to the... But a lot of these things are, like, I'm talking about, like, stuff that's not clearly black and white in the Bible. Yeah. They're more nuances and more just things right. that we're trying to make a good decision about. And just the difficulty we, we have to say, hey, we don't want to offend people, but this might offend people, and we still have to make it because this is the wise decision. And, and again, I, I think this temptation is super tough. You know, it's easy to say, well, just don't care what people think. But, you know, when you have a larger and larger congregation, you have many opinions and many think, and thoughts, yeah. and we have to decipher through all of this, you know. Well, imagine you are trying to get up in the pulpit and preach a sermon if our goal is, Okay, here's all these people that are going to be listening to this sermon through what's going on in yeah. their lives and yeah. what their lens is and what right. their story is. Right. And our job is to make sure we don't say anything that might be taken the wrong way. I mean, it would be so tormenting. And in my younger years as a pastor, 
I dealt with that. Like, oh, I hope so-and-so didn't think I was preaching to them or that I was, right. that I was, that was a dig, right. you know, into what they're dealing with. I mean, that, that just can become so tormenting. So you just try to please the Lord. You try to preach the word. You try to love people right. with a pure heart. And then you got to let the Lord take care of the right. rest. Right. But even what you just said, I mean, to get to that point is difficult. Yes, it's it is difficult. It's a, it's, a, it's a struggle, especially for young pastors getting in the game. And, and and when you're younger, you're looking for affirmations of people saying, hey, great job. Or no, that didn't resonate. You know, and, and that, that crucial. That's why having our identity, hearing from the Lord that you are enough and you are valuable is so important. And being surrounded by people who love the Lord and share the same values yeah. and who, who, who can encourage you and, and right. support you and give you good feedback. Right. You know, but, but this is important because... As you mentioned, Satan is so subtle. So he come, Jesus says, it is written, and now second temptation, Satan comes at Jesus with the Bible. And yeah. He's going to quote scripture the, at right. the living word, right? The, right. The, the, the Logos, the one from whom all of this comes comes from and flows out of, he's right. going to start quoting the Bible to Jesus. And But what the difference is he takes a, a passage in Psalm 91 that's meant to encourage us to trust the Lord, and he turns it into a test, yeah. which is what he's always doing. It's really an attack on God's character. Uh, and so we need to know the word because certainly the Bible knows the word and he will try to misuse the word to bring shame upon our lives. Let's go to the last one here in the time we have left. We talked about uh, possession. I am what I have. We talked about the first the first lie of performance. I am what others think. The third temptation basically says this, uh, the possession trap. I am what I have. And of course, Jesus or Satan took Jesus to a very high place. And showed him all of the uh, splendor, the glory, the wealth, the opulence of rulers and kingdoms. And basically, he's saying, Jesus, I will give you all of this. I'll give you a shortcut. You don't have to go through the cross. I will give you all of this if you'll just bow down and worship me. And again, notice the, the nature of the temptation. Jesus is a, at this point, looks like a king without a kingdom. He, uh, he has no crown. He has no scepter. He has no throne. He has no place to lay his head. In fact, I think Satan was even kind of digging at him. Like, you know, look at all this incredible food. Look at all of this wealth. Look at all this opulence. Your dad is not even giving you any food. You're out here starving to death in the wilderness. You have, Jesus, you have nothing. You're a king, but you're a loser. You, you have no kingdom. Yeah. And I can solve this problem for you in an instant if you'll just bow down and worship me. Yeah. And the irony, of course, is he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the one who's going to, God says, I'm going to give you the nations as your inheritance. This whole cosmos exists for his glory. And I think at those moments, Jesus had to simply remind himself uh, that none of what Satan was saying was true. Uh, and that he holds it all together, creates it all, therefore owns it all. Uh, and he basically tells Satan to get lost. Um, but for us. How many times does the devil use material things to really go after our value? You know. Yeah, you know what? I read these verses a thousand times since I was a little kid, and as a little kid, I always thought, you know, Jesus was just to finally just like, you know, get away from me, Satan. But as I get older, I start to think, wonder, you know, how how tempted was Jesus by this? He didn't sin, right. but but was it just simply like, oh, dismissive, or did Jesus? truly struggle because now that i understand the kingdom of god more i realize that the devil is really true the kingdom of the world jesus is kingdom of a complete different kingdom only only by usurpation in other words it's by our default our sin our handing over the keys uh 
uh, to a planet that God gave us God to gave be in us, charge. Right. Part of the, part of the message I think of biblical worldview is that the dominion mandate in Genesis chapter one twenty eight. Uh, is still in effect. It's right. just harder now. But but we're basically kicking the squatter out, Satan, and saying, no, this planet doesn't belong to you. But but he has so he has a legitimate argument here. He right? had a legitimate argument because because you know the Bible just says he's just the king of the kingdom of the air. I mean whatever. Prince of the power of the air. Yeah, prince, prince of power. So so Jesus had a decision to say, you know what, I can basically become king of your kingdom, or do I usher in a brand new kingdom? That belongs to my father. Yep. And like you said, exactly what it is. It's a shortcut. Right. It's a shortcut. And, and again, that temptation seems so crazy. Like, of course, Jesus is not going to kneel before the devil. How many Christians, how many great men of God, how many great kings who, who had a great calling in their lives, but they're faced with that same temptation. You know, it's not as blatant, but it'd be a subtle, hey, if you just like make the shortcut, if you just embezzle this little bit of money, if you just, just, just tell your congregation this thing and not really well, the well, truth. Look at, look at popular, uh, popular music today, pop culture. Most of the world does not grow up singing. That's highly unusual. Where do people generally sing on a regular basis? At church. Yeah. And it's, un, it, it's uncanny how many pop culture stars started off singing in their church. And then basically sold their soul, some of them actually literally making compacts with the demonic for fame and fortune, uh, but took a gift that God had placed yeah. in them for his glory yeah. and then sold out for a moment of money, popularity, whatever it is. Right. Um, we do it all the time. We make compromises it's, in the marketplace. Especially when you hear the voice of shame saying, hey, you look at all these people with less talent than you. They don't work as hard as you. They're not as a, a gifted. They don't have as much integrity they have. They're driving Lamborghinis. They're on social media. I mean, I, I, I feel that retirement account. I, I'm, I feel that way sometimes. I, I, you know, I see social media these people doing TikTok videos or whatever. I'm just like, and they're like millionaires doing this. I'm just like, yeah. wow, this is crazy. They're they're living the lifestyle I couldn't even dream of, and they're just. And, and we're trying to battle it out for the kingdom of God. And, you know, and, and when, when there's financial struggles and whatever, those are the, the thoughts that comes in. That's just a tiny bit of what we face. Imagine what Christ faced and, in that and, moment. And the shortcut is always the temptation, right? Yeah. It's like the little compromises along the way that justify that it's really okay for you to be finding your identity in your possessions. Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, that's not the source. Because... You've seen this happen before uh, when the stock market like bottoms out or during the Great Depression when people went from being filthy rich yeah. to owning nothing and right. many of them committed suicide yeah. because they couldn't handle it. So, so you, you know, you have to hold on to things loosely. Obviously, there's nothing the matter with wealth and blessing and prosperity when, when you use it for the right purpose. But but if that's the source of your identity, what you own or what you have, that can, that can change in a moment's time. And then your identity goes right down the toilet, and then you're living under shame again. So, uh, so don't don't base your identity in stuff that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. I would even venture, if I'm your father, if, uh, if I'm the father, I would be hesitant to bless you with great wealth or influence or possessions when your identity is not truly found. If it's going to destroy you, it's going to destroy you. I'm not going to bless you with that. You know, the, the, someone else's kid, I don't have any control of that. For my own kids. If I'm going to bless you with this and that's all you're going to be doing all day, you're not going to spend any time with me. You're not going to do your homework. All you're going to do is play all day. Sorry, I'm not going to give that to you right now. The blessing then becomes a curse. Becomes so, a curse, exactly. Yeah, so we just need to make sure that uh, when it comes to performance or when it comes to popularity or when it comes to possessions, possessions money, yeah, th th this is not the foundation because those things can all change in a moment. You know, I, I think of performance again. 
How many times have you seen people that maybe they experienced an injury where they lost mobility or strength and they could not perform what they used to do as their job and then they go into depression because their identity was wrapped up in and being able to perform or a professional athlete that at the end of their career they, they don't they can't perform at the same level and then they don't know who they are anymore because their identity was in football or basketball or whatever um you know it's a, it's a terrible thing we, we need to put our identity in the only thing that is eternal and that is in being a son or daughter of jesus christ uh, and that's the challenge so so please know this the devil's after you he's attacking your identity he's going to try to bring shame um, and and he'll succeed if you build on those three lies. And Jesus showed us how to how to win. And the way we win is we say, "It is written, thus saith the Lord." This is what God has to say. I'm going to believe what God says about me, not what the world says about me, my performances about me, or my possessions say about me. Yeah. So, so I hope this is helpful to you. Uh, I had a I had a businessman this past week say, "Pastor, thanks for for sharing that from the Word because I I've had to deal with all three of those temptations over the course of my you know life and career." Oh yeah. Um, any last words? No, I think we we recognize shame is always looking to hit us over and over again with these things. We got to be ever vigilant. Yeah, um, and I'm excited to hear uh, your message coming up this week on uh, the importance of vulnerability as a weapon. Which will be a couple weeks from yeah. you guys. Are you gonna are you gonna give can you give us a little taste of that? Well they already heard of it by this point. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. We're Speaking living into the future. We're living into the future and all this. But I it hasn't happened yet in reality yet in this yeah. time. So I'm excited to uh to yeah. hear that. It's gonna be yeah. good. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. We love you all. Live shame free uh and enjoy uh your identity as a beloved son or daughter of the most high God. All right, we'll look forward to being with you next week.